What's up everybody, Tara Wellman here, back with another series preview as the Cardinals finally come home, hopefully out of the cold to play some baseball in weather that actually feels like baseball as they take on the Cincinnati Reds again for the second time in as many weeks. Now, not much has gone right for the Reds so far this season, and as a result, just 18 games in, they made some big changes in the last couple of days. To help me sort through all of that, as well as prepare for the series this weekend, I'm pleased to welcome Wick Terrell of Red Reporter. Wick, first of all, thanks for joining me to help set the stage for another series with the Cardinals and the Reds. It's not very often that there's this quick of a turnaround, um, but there's still a lot to talk about. So at least we have that. <laughs> That's true. That's quite true. Now, I had planned a bit of a different line of questioning that certainly involved Brian Price, but didn't necessarily center around that story uh, until this morning. Um, now, we all sort of woke up to the news. Well, I don't know if we all woke up to the news. I woke up to the news. I'm sure you woke up to the news not being in the Midwest about the firing of Brian Price as well as the pitching coach. There are a lot of Cardinals fans who probably dream of waking up to the news that Mike Matheny is no longer the manager, but... That's that, that's a different story for another time. What was your first reaction when you saw that, in fact, after 18 games, the Brian Price era is done? Yeah, it, it, it's weird. After having all of today to kind of say it out loud in multiple different ways and think about all the scenarios that went into it, um, initially the first thing that jumped out to me was, wow, 18 games in, like a, a manager getting fired in April, you just don't see that happen that often. Um, but then you also look up and you say, okay, I don't see a whole lot of managers who lose 90 plus games three years in a row and actually get to the next April to start that. Um, so for me, it, it's, we, we ran an article, uh, I think eight days ago saying it's time for the Reds to fire Brian Price. And we, we went back and forth on it a couple different times because there's so many different things that went into, uh, not just the scenarios we're trying to rebuild, but also the lack of investment from the front office and not giving them any options. Um, you know, Basically, we looked up and said, okay, is anything getting better? Is it getting worse? And is there anything that's out of his control that's kind of defining what's happened this year? Because if you're going to commit to him for yet another season, what happens in just 18 games that can really turn the tide in all of your uh, sentiments? And, you know, looking up and seeing Eugenio Suarez breaking his thumb and being out for a couple games, Scott Scheller getting hit on the elbow and being out for uh, two-plus weeks as well, you know, if three and fifteen is seven and eleven, or even six and uh, twelve, it's better than they are right now. Would that have been enough to keep his job that much further? You know, what happens in that small of a sample to make the decision? But uh, the way the team is cratered offensively, uh, the way that the bullpen decisions haven't panned out at all, and even though the starting pitching is starting to look good again, I think the front office said, "Hey, we we kind of knew he wasn't going to be our manager of the future." The present isn't getting any better. It's got to be time to make the decision now. And I, I I think I'm on board with it. I think I was kind of on board with it if they'd made it at the end of last season. Um, but I think it's it's probably the right time now because it has been for several, several months, in, in my opinion. And uh, I'm not totally shocked by it at all. I was going to ask you, I mean, it seems like if this, if, if Brian Price was the problem, <laughs> uh, yeah. you probably knew that 18 games ago. Uh, so why now, obviously, uh, the start to the season is concerning, but it, it kind of feels like it was concerning 
like I said, 18 games ago. How much of the start to this year is at the fault of Brian Price? And how much is just sort of the product of what the front office has or hasn't done to try to, you know, make things different than they were for the last two years? The, the way I've rationalized it is, I mean, if you looked, if you told me in September of last year that the Reds would start this season with no Zach Cozart, basically no Suarez, basically no Scott Shevler, Jesse Winker being hurt for a week, uh, no Anthony DiScofani, basically no Brandon Finnegan, no Michael Lorenzen, that you'd sign David Hernandez and bank on him and have nothing out of him so far, um, and that the only other additions that you brought in would be Jared Hughes and Giovanni Gallardo. Um and Phil Goslin and Cliff Pennington, three and fifteen wouldn't sound too out of the realm of expectations <laughs> for that. I mean, we're talking about a team that lost ninety four games last year, and then those are the that's the transaction ledger between then and now. So for for Price's sake, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't think there's a whole lot different he could have done. I think with the Reds, they almost ran out of chances to give him more chances, if that makes sense, because. Uh, you know, players aren't a stagnant age. Like all the young players they brought in all these trades aren't going to be 24 forever. This is year three of a lot of those guys. I mean, you're talking about Cody Reed and Robert Stevenson, guys who have been the prospects on the cusp for several years. Uh, they can only tread water so long while waiting for better luck or better circumstances or better karma or whatever it is. Um, especially when you look up at people like, like me and, and Red Reporter who keep saying for four straight years, yeah, Brian Price hasn't been dealt a great hand. He's not supposed to win right now. They're they're going to lose. There's nothing he could have done. Those guys could only read that for so long before they start looking <laughs> up at me like, all right, maybe it's me. Like Maybe I'm the reason why we're losing in these many games. And for a team in a rebuild that has that many young players, a front office can't let that creep in to their mindset. They really can't. And so while I, I empathize with Brian Price, and I don't think a lot of this was his fault, uh, I do think it was time to shake things up a bit. And he just happened to be the most prominent person. And obviously, Mac Jenkins, the pitching coach, who'd been in the organization since 2006 and had great success on the front end of his career. Um, you know, he obviously got 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 axed today, too. But in, in, I feel bad for both of them because I do think they're talented coaches who, in a right circumstance, could have had better success. But you only get so much time to have those opportunities. And I think the time was pretty much up. I think in a lot of scenarios like this, there's only so much goodwill <laughs> that you sort of have with the fan base as well. Um, and there are only so many times you can say, it's it's a rebuild, it's going to get better, without it actually getting better before right. there's a bit of a revolt on your hands. How yeah. much of a move like this do you think is kind of a statement as much as it is something that's going to make a difference now? Well, that's that's the issue. And, and with Price, I do feel like part of the reason why he got this particular start of 2018 was because of the goodwill he built up. Because before he got hired, he was a pitching coach basically for the greatest uh, rotational era, top to bottom in Cincinnati Reds history. Um, you know, the Reds have won a lot of games and they're an old franchise. They won five World Series, but it's always been with their bats. They never won a, never once had a Cy Young Award winner. Um, I think maybe once, if not twice, they've had a second place finish, but that's it. But they've never been a franchise that's been defined by their pitching. Um, but the 2010 to 2013 Reds really were defined by their pitching. And he was the pitching coach through all of that. And he saw Johnny Cueto emerging and Homer Bailey and uh, turn Matt Latos uh, in the right direction for three years once they got him. Um, and I think he kind of earned a lot of the goodwill through that. And that's probably why he was still around. And 
for us, uh, I'm excited about the opportunity of who's going to manage going forward. I'm not terribly excited about having Jim Riggleman be the manager of the Reds right now. Um, if anything, he's been the bench coach and third base coach for three years already. So he's been in the dugout for all of this. It's not like his voice hasn't been heard and uh, that he's suddenly going to be this this new voice that's going to make things uh, go differently. But I am excited because I don't think the job long term by any means, which means what? The Reds are going to have to go out and find somebody else to, uh, to take charge. And, you know, if you... If you burn four years of a rebuild and still haven't got anywhere, I'm not asking the Reds to be drastic in their decision making, but I do think they're going to be a lot more thorough than they otherwise would have been. Um, and the names that are out there right now, you know, it's it's uh, for a team that's willing to spend money on a manager. There's John Farrell out there who's already been brought in as a scout in the organization. Uh, there's Joe Girardi out there, too, who I think would be in many ways a very, very good fit for the Reds. Um, so it's not like they, they fired everybody and there's no big name manager out there that can go after. Um, uh, so for us, it's a little bit exciting on that end. Well, there, it certainly gives everyone, I think, something to look forward to as far as progress, but this season still has to happen. <laughs> so <laughs> if you're, if you're the Reds this season right now, if you're the players coming in to work tomorrow and things are different, is this the kind of change that gives them, I don't know, does this give them a, a boost of confidence that, hey, the front office is going to try to start making things happen? Or is this just kind of like, well, now no one knows what's going on? Because <laughs> I feel that's like it could go either direction. <laughs> that's a really good question. You know, it's, it's you never, uh, in any form of business, you never want to look up and see your boss getting fired because ultimately that means you didn't do something on your end that you think you could have done to help save their job. And by all accounts, and I'll give Brian Price credit for this, it, it, he, I don't think he lost the locker room. I don't think players disliked him. He seemed to be a pretty amenable guy. And so I think there's a lot of people in um, uh, the Cincinnati Reds dugout right now who are certainly going to be sad to not have him around anymore. Uh, how they react to that is obviously the, that that's the big question. <laughs> Bowling straight into a series in St. Louis is not exactly the best way to get right on this. <laughs> Uh, as well, it's not the way things have gone recently, but um, but I do I am looking forward to seeing how that how that plays out because uh, uh, the Reds have a lot of a lot of players that are committed to having around beyond just this year, and how quickly they can kind of settle into the fact that what was didn't work, but we're still here, we still got to pull it out. This is not a team full of guys that are you know in their last year under contract that are trying to win a World Series and they're didn't get it done. Their manager got fired. This is, it's a core that's gotten put together specifically to be there for the next three or four years together. And I think this is going to be a big kind of rallying point for a lot of them. So we'll talk about this series specifically, but before we get into some of the pitching matchups and things like that, I did want to ask you, I mean, every organization, every team, whether it's baseball or any other sport has those seasons that are kind of hard to watch <laughs> as a, for, for the fan base. So as you've watched, obviously this is not the start to a season that anyone predicts or imagines or hopes for, but it's still, you know, three weeks of baseball, right? So how have you gone about sort of watching this team, knowing what they're up against and finding yourself right back at it again the next day? Yeah, <laughs> uh, that's a question I, I ask myself a lot. <laughs> um, uh, for one, uh, Joey Votto hasn't hit yet, and Joey Votto's not done. He's going to hit. He's not a guy with no OPS that starts with five. He's not 
fighting Billy Hamilton and Jose Peraza for the worst OPS plus on the team. He's going to hit, um, and that hasn't happened yet. And he's gotten off to slow starts two of the last three years, um, all of which have turned out to be fantastic years for him. So uh, I, that's going to come, and I'm excited about that. Uh, Scott Shelbler is going to be back soon. Before the season, I picked him to be kind of the breakout player for the Reds this year. He uh, he fought through a shoulder issue last year that cost him, I think he had a three for 54 stretch before he finally hit the DL for a week and a half uh, with a shoulder issue. But before that and after that, he was hitting incredibly well um, and had quite possibly the quietest 30 home run season in Cincinnati Reds history. Uh, but he's going to be back. Eugenio Suarez, they gave a $66 million contract extension to. Sounds like he's going to be back sooner than later as well. Um, the, the only thing I find with all of this is that these are the same things we've been saying about a lot of the same players for the last two, three years. Um, I want to be excited about Anthony DiScofani. He showed so much promise in his first couple years. But again, he's back on the 60-day DL uh, for the third consecutive season. So, um, But for me... Uh, the Reds are going to get better just by default because they can't be any worse than they have been. <laughs> and you look at the numbers and say, okay, starting pitching, starting to round into form a little bit. Votto's going to be better. Shevler Suarez back. And then you've got Nick Senzel, who's probably the most highly touted hitting prospect in the Cincinnati system since Votto and Bruce came up 10 years ago. And he's the kind of guy who um, you, you can, well, for one, you have to have a franchise that's been in the doldrums long enough to have to need somebody to dream on. Um, but with Sinzel, he's also the kind of player that comes with the pedigree and with the prospect status and the production so far that says, hey, whether he ends up at shortstop, third base, or second base, that's a cog for the future. Um, and that's kind of where we are on all this. And, and it's, um, it's not the most exciting spot to be in, but at least you can look up and say, if you ignore the record by mid-May, this team could be playing some pretty good baseball. It, that's the beauty of being able to say it's early is that there is still a lot to come and and theoretically a lot that will be much more exciting than uh, than a three and fifteen start. You mentioned Joey Votto. Let's start there because a lot of people are asking what is going on with Joey Votto. Where is the Joey Votto that is one of the best hitters in the league? So what are you seeing? What where is Joey Votto? <laughs> well, we, we, I've not done the updated research yet, um, but as of April 14th, and that's now the 19th, um, in 2015 and in 2017, he had a 577 OPS and a 580-something. I can't remember the exact number because they're not in front of me. Uh, through that date of each of those two years, and then went on to have uh, arguably two of his three most impressive offensive seasons. And I don't know if it's because he's gotten older and he's gotten – more diligent about how he uh, uh, budgets his uh, his effort and his ability to play every day throughout the course of the year. Um, but he just hasn't gotten off to great starts over the last couple seasons. And uh, if you look up at, and it's all, you know, it's all small sample size and, and extremely, you know, small numbers, but his hard hit percentage is still okay. It's not like he's rolling over and hitting soft ground balls. Um, he's pulling the ball a little more than I think he'd probably want to. Um, and he hasn't hit the ball elevated hardly at all so far this season, but he doesn't look not right. It just doesn't look like it's kind of all clicking for him yet. And, uh, so I'm not yet worried about him just purely because of, uh, I distinctly remember, uh, two years ago, um, almost sitting published on the, uh, what's wrong with Joey Votto, uh, uh article. And since then he's gone on to, you know, basically have the best, uh, 
weighted runs created plus in baseball other than Mike Trout since then. So um, I'm not worried about him. He's he's too good of a hitter. Whether or not his power will ever be 36 home runs again like it was last year, I don't know. Uh, but he's the kind of guy who, if he realizes he's not hitting for power, will find a way to hit singles two times a game. He's just he's he's that guy, and I still think he's got at least that in him, if not much much more. So he he's not somebody I'm worried about yet. And if anything else, I think probably the reason why I'm not worried about him is because there've been so many other things about the Reds to be worried about. <laughs> that uh, very low on the <laughs> priority list. <laughs> yeah, it's not just Joey Votto at this point. I have to imagine that it's it's a little bit tough for someone like Joey Votto, who is as talented and as capable as he is to sort of be in the middle of this um, where he feels like there's a lot that could go right, but it just hasn't. Do you see any frustration from Joey Votto at this point in his career where he's looking at a team that has not gotten off to a good start again? Uh, if there is some, he's not showing it. I do feel like he has been showing some frustration with his own performance. Um, when you see a, a, a strikeout or an awkward swing or a pitch that he was waiting for, that he, he, he created the count specifically for that pitch, got that pitch because he scouted the pitcher so well and then missed it. Um, I think you see stuff like that, but that's the kind of thing that you've seen with him, whether he's hitting 340 uh, or whether he's hitting 230, which he's, uh, he's done in time so far this year. Um, but outwardly, I've not seen anything from him. And at this point, um, as many players as he's seen – kind of filtered through the Cincinnati system. Um, uh, I can kind of understand that at this point, he's probably focused in on him doing his job and not worrying <laughs> about too much of the periphery. Cause uh, if he was worried about all the players that he had played with that aren't there anymore, uh, I think we would have seen a lot more out of him about three or four years ago. That's probably a, a good approach <laughs> at this point, especially if he's not playing quite like he wants to. So let's talk a little bit about this series. Uh, it'll be Brandon Finnegan against Michael Walker in game one. The Cardinals saw Finnegan in that last series about a week ago, uh, which I believe was his first start back with the team. Didn't quite go well. Um, that was a, a weird game that had a lot of strange twists and turns to it. But what did you see from him and what do you expect in his next start? Uh, unfortunately, I saw a lot of the same things that Finnegan's fought through since he's been a Cincinnati Red, which is that uh, sometimes he'll just batter from the batter's box and throw four balls. And you look up at the end of the game and he's walked five guys, but three of those walks were just four pitches that he walked a guy on. It wasn't like he battled to 12 pitch counts and got deep in those counts. It's just, it almost seems like a guy steps in and he just won't pitch to him. Um, and, and that means he's had issues getting deep into games. Uh, he's had issues with walks um, and he's had issues with locating a lot of the times too, but he also does have very, very good swing and miss stuff. And um, I saw for me, at least I looked up and said, that's kind of what I expected his first start back off of shoulder surgery. And after missing most of last year in a cold weather game was probably going to look like um, I'm still pretty high on Finnegan in terms of being a mid-rotation starter. I don't think he's going to be a, a star pitcher by any means, uh, but he showed two years ago that he can be a pretty durable guy as a lefty. I think it's a big value in the Reds rotation and I'm looking hopefully forward to him having a better start this time out than he did last time. 
Michael Walker is another guy that has dealt with shoulder issues. Um, doesn't seem to be bothering him so far this year, but he's also not been particularly effective. Uh, and I am sort of in the camp that always feels like that shoulder thing is just a part of who Michael Walker is as a pitcher. Uh, it's not going to go away. He's just going to have to learn to deal with it. But it also has sort of taken him from a top-of-the-rotation starter to a middle-of-the-rotation starter when when he's good. Um, he's struggled a little bit so far this season as well. And it's it's been weird because he sort of managed to escape uh, mostly unharmed <laughs> more often than not, but it hasn't been pretty. Um, so he's he's another one that, you know, I feel like there's a lot there, but I'm not sure how you get it out of him, especially with a, a shoulder issue that may or may not be an ongoing battle for him. So I feel like this could be an interesting, this could be an interesting game, uh, especially with the, the number of weird weather situations that have interrupted regular schedules and routines for these guys, both of these guys needing to find a little consistency. Uh, and that's not really their forte. <laughs> yeah, that's quite true. And, and Walker, Famously, at least famously for us, uh, was taken, I think, a pick, if not two picks, after Nick Travieso in the first round of uh, whichever year that was what? That was 2012, I think, in the first round. And Travieso, who was a decently touted prospect coming up, has basically been on the shelf for two full seasons now because of also shoulder issues. So <laughs> imagine that. <laughs> Seems to be uh, a lot of that these days. So yeah. anyway, that'll... <laughs> That'll be uh, that'll be the first game. Uh, game two is actually a rematch scheduled to be Bailey versus Martinez, which was actually a pretty compelling game uh, it, to end the series in Cincinnati. Bailey sort of rounding into form after a number of injuries over the last few seasons as well. Carlos Martinez coming off of a, a start to the year that wasn't great, followed by a really good start, trying to still sort of figure out who he is. Um, it's an interesting matchup to me because I think they're very different in what they do well, but when they do it well, it's very effective. Yeah, very much so. And and for us, uh, uh, Homer Bailey has been one of the very few bright spots for the Reds so far this year. And, you know, not to say that I ever thought he was worth a $106 million contract extension when he got <laughs> given that at the front end, but the idea of extending Homer Bailey for five or six years more like 55, 60 million, something like that would have been totally up my alley. I think he's the kind of guy who he's got the prototypical size and delivery when he's healthy to show. I mean, there's a reason why he's done two new hitters in his career before, but he's finally coming off of, I think the first off season he's had since 2014, where he wasn't rehabbing. He was just doing the normal. That always off helps. Work. <laughs> and, it, and yeah, it does. And you look up and he's also, he's only 31 years old. I mean, it's not like he's 36 and washed up at this point, even though he's been around forever. Um, but despite the fact he's pitching cold weather so far this year, the velocity looks good. I mean, he's hitting low nineties. He's, he's obviously modified his pitches a little bit to where he's not throwing as hard as he once did. Uh, but the velocity is still there. The movement's there. Uh, the location's been there, too, and that's been the biggest thing that I've noticed from him is that, you know, obviously coming off Tommy John surgery, uh, the the ability to pinpoint the location is kind of the last thing that really comes back to pitchers, and he didn't have that last year. He, he, he looked poised, the velocity was there, but the location wasn't. It's been there for him so far this spring, and for us, that's a big, big, big plus because there's got to be a veteran that can eat innings uh, somewhere in the Cincinnati rotation um, and he's looking the part of that number two, number three starter that the Reds always wanted him to be when they signed him. 
Um, and so, yeah, we're <laughs> he, he's been one of the, the the few rocks that we can depend on when we turn in uh, to games every single day. That veteran presence is, I think, so important, especially when you have a whole host of young arms, young guys that are really talented but don't necessarily know um, sort of how to just manage themselves through a major league season. There's been a lot of that talk as it relates to Carlos Martinez. Um, And I'm always curious, I want to ask you sort of what the take is from the opponent's perspective on Martinez, because um, within the Cardinals world, there's just this ongoing narrative that he's too emotional and he's too immature and, and there's just this lack of um, grit, I guess, that you see out of someone like an Adam Wainwright or formerly a Chris Carpenter. And everybody wants him to be the ace, and he has this tremendous arsenal of weapons in, in at his disposal. Um, but there's this ongoing idea that he's he's not that guy, and I'm always curious to hear what the the sort of opinion or the perspective is from an opponent watching Carlos Martinez pitch, I'm fascinated by the way he pitches. Uh, he's got, it's almost like he's got two pitches for every pitch that he throws, which if I can walk myself back through that makes sense. I promise. Um, it's almost <laughs> like he's got the ability to throw a four seam and two seam and have multiple speeds on both of those. He can mix a slider and he can also throw it a little bit harder or a little bit slower. He, he's to me, he's almost like that. Um, what's the best way to describe it? If you go bowling, and there's a pin that's left on any side. He's got like the right spin to throw on any of that. It's it's he's got the touch. I think is the best way to describe it. So he's not a thrower. He's a pitcher. Um, and for uh, an opponent, he I, he's he I, he's one of my favorite pitchers to watch pitch. First off, because he's got that ability to really pull a pitch out of nowhere that you're not expecting to see and throw it at a different velocity or a different spot or hit the inside or the outside of the plate. And there, you know, there's a reason why the Cardinals went out and signed him uh, to the extension the way they did. So um, for me, he's, he's one of the most talented young pitchers in the game. And I think he's only going to get better. And that's kind of the, that's what scares me most is that I don't feel like we've seen the best out of him yet. <laughs> we've seen a lot of really good at, uh, innings from him so far. I think I said that about him the other day because his his first start of the season wasn't great. Um, he, he was struggling to sort of command a lot of those pitches that are such weapons for him when they're working. Um, but since then, I mean, there's there's at least one pitch every game that I'm just like, I don't know wow. how it's even like the physics of that are even possible. Um, and that's a lot of fun to watch. And, and I think there's so much that's still untapped there. And, and that's, I, I can't imagine what is yet to come if he sort of is able to capture all of that at once. Um, and and for, really, for me, sorry to interrupt. For me, when I watch him pitch, he's exactly what I hoped Rysela Glacius was going to turn out to be, honestly. And, and as a starting pitcher, the ability to, to have that. I mean, I think he, I know he topped 107 pitches. I can't remember what he exactly finished with when he pitched against the Reds, but I know he got into the seventh inning. Um, but with Iglesias, there was always that, that issue of just getting fatigued. Uh, but when you started the game, he's got that same kind of pull a pitch out of a hat and throw it. And it's going to be around the plate and it's going to make the whoever's facing him say, wow, I didn't know he had that and <laughs> I don't know how to hit it. And yeah, so for me, that's I, I'm fascinated by every time I watch him. Yeah, I mean, he's he's the kind of guy that even if he didn't play for the team that I follow, 
I'd want to watch his starts because he's just he's fascinating and, and incredibly talented. So that'll be game two, I think, which should be a, a great game. Um, game three, it looks like it'll be Luis Castillo against Miles Michaelis. Now, the Cardinals did not see Castillo the last time around. There's a lot of talk about him as one of those talented guys potentially in the rotation for the Reds. What are realistic expectations, do you think, for him as one of those guys that this Reds rotation is depending on. Yeah, I always have to take a deep breath before I talk about Luis Castillo when you talk about expectations because <laughs> the ceiling there is so high. Um, he's a guy who's he's built like you'd want a number one pitcher to be. He's a he's a pretty tall, pretty imposing guy. He's got a delivery where I think uh, Luis Severino had one tenth of a mile an hour higher average fastball than he did last year. That's the only pitcher in baseball who averaged a higher velocity than he did in his fastball. And while velocity is one thing in today's day and age, he averaged a full 10 miles an hour less on his changeup. So he's got the ability to replicate a delivery and take a full 10 miles an hour off, which has been devastating at times. And early this year, um, you know, the, I, I don't want to blame the weather in the region, but the Reds have played some really, really nasty games. In it's Pittsburgh been bad. And, it's fair to bring that into the, into the yeah, discussion. <laughs> it's been really, really bad. And he ha- his velocity has been a mile or two down, but I don't think that's endemic for the rest of his season. I think it's kind of just circumstantial at this point. Um, but he's a guy who came straight. He, I think he's thrown 14 innings above A ball starting last year and then jumped straight to double A and pitched incredibly and then got brought up last year. Pretty much, because, not because, he pitched well. He pitched certainly well enough to get called up, but he wasn't on the 40-man roster. He got called up because all the other young rookie pitchers in front of him just weren't good enough. They weren't getting the job done, and they really just needed to turn somebody else. And he was fabulous. He was absolutely fabulous. And uh, you've seen glimpses of that this year. And obviously his last start in Milwaukee, he ended up uh, getting tagged for four run runs and 6.2 innings, but through six innings, he'd allowed two hits and no runs and eight strikeouts and was every bit as dominant as you hoped he would be. And of course he was playing in snowy Milwaukee under a dome and it was 72 degrees on the inside and his pitches were moving fantastically. He was hitting 99 miles an hour with his fastball um, with Castillo. He's, he's the, he's the future. He really is. He's the one, I, the, the Reds have a lot of pitchers that could be good number two, number three starters. Uh, Tyler Malley is one of them. Uh, I think Amir Garrett's going to get another shot to be in the rotation. Uh, Sal Romano should be a back-end kind of guy. Uh, Castillo is the one that looks the part 100% of being that ace. And uh, I'm excited to get him to see a pitch uh, um, over a full season this year as opposed to just a 90-what, you know, 98 inning um, call-up last year because he really does have the full, complete arsenal. You mentioned the idea of him as the ace, and uh, I wanted to ask you about that in regards to him, because similarly, a lot of people have said that Carlos Martinez is or should be the ace of this staff, but there's a lot of contention about what that actually means, how you define an ace and what that role should be for a team. So when you look at someone like Castillo, who obviously has all the talent in the world, and then you think, okay, he can be the ace of this staff in the future. What does that mean? How do you define an ace? I, I actually I actually got asked a similar question a couple of days ago, and when I mentioned that he had six innings of scoreless two-hit ball, uh, he got sent out for that seventh inning. Um, he was sitting at about 89 and 90 pitches, and he got sent out for that third time through the order. Uh, Tyler Malley and Sal Romano both had five inning starts within the last week where they allowed two earned runs. They got pulled 
and they went straight to the bullpen, went straight to Jared Hughes, I think, for one of the games, and went straight to Amir Garrett for the other one. Um, so went to good relievers who, when Brian Price, still the manager at that point, knew that those were still pivotal innings. But he went over to the bullpen. Um, on a game against the Brewers, after as bad of a start of the season as the Reds had had, he sent Castillo back out there. And while he ended up allowing a two-out uh, double to uh, the pitcher after they'd walked the catcher in front of him and he got tagged for two earned runs and then they put Cody Reed in and he threw a wild pitch and let two other inherited runs come in his line ended up looking bad uh, or not not bad but not great but the idea that he got sent out there for that seventh inning to me in modern day baseball um, that's that's what you ask of out of your ace if you've got them in a position to say hey it's less about 102 versus 111 pitches it's you go get me three more outs because we need them in the seventh inning. We need you to buy us a day for an extra reliever in the bullpen. We need to turn straight over to our eighth inning guy. Or with Iglesias, in many instances of the last couple of years, a closer who can get you a two outs or two inning save. Um, so for me, that was, you know, his stuff aside, obviously the stuff I think is fantastic. The peripherals in the area he put up last year were by far and away the best on the team, which obviously you would hope an ace would have. Uh, but how he's used and how you can depend on him. That's what stood out to me because, you know, Brian Price is a pitching coach uh, coming up through his years, looking at Castillo and saying, yeah, you're my guy who can go out and get that seventh inning. He hasn't asked Homer Bailey to do that this year. You know, and he's he, he's been kid gloves with Homer largely because of his injuries. But with Castillo, age 25, with the arm like that, uh, seeing a manager ask him to go do that against the division rival who's got a very, very potent offense and say, you're my guy, go get it done. That to me says, OK, well. I thought he had the chance to be an ace, but maybe somebody else who knows a lot more about baseball than I do also does too. Yeah, no, I think that's I think that's a great point. I think part of being that ace is having the confidence of management and and your teammates of knowing that you might not have your best stuff at the end of your outing, but you can still go out there and put them in a good position to to get out of the right. inning. So, um, yeah, I think that's great. Uh, you mentioned Amir Garrett. Um, whether or not he ends up back in the rotation, how valuable has it been to have someone like that in the bullpen for the Reds this year? Yeah, he's been fantastic. Yeah, you can argue he's been the best pitcher on the Reds staff so far this year. Um, still hasn't a lot of run. Uh, he fought a hip issue last year that um, as, as, as I get older and keep watching young pitchers come up or young players come up and not want to disclose that they actually got injured or weren't 100% because they're finally there. They want to keep their job. They want to make money they want to do all that stuff uh he had a hip impingement last year and tried to pitch through it um his velocity ended up being down he got hit incredibly hard his overall numbers were awful um and he finally fessed up to it they went in there and got him examined uh, examined and it turns out he needed to have a, a platelet rich plasma procedure which is too hard to say once much less three times fast <laughs> Um, and he came back in spring training this year healthy and with another three or four miles an hour on his fastball. And as good as he's been to, from the bullpen to start this year, he looked every bit that dominant as a starter for most of the spring, too. And so for me, um, he's obviously a tremendous athlete. He played college basketball at St. John's and Cal State Long Beach or Cal State Fullerton? Cal State Long Beach, I think. Um, he, he's, he's a tremendous athlete. He's 6'6". He's got the ability to hit 97, 98 with his fastball. But to me, he looks healthy again. Um, and that's the biggest thing, because when he was healthy, there's a reason why he was a top 100 overall prospect, a reason why he dominated a double A and dominated a triple A. And he looks like that pitcher again. And of course, he did all that dominating as a starter. And for me, I, I, I think he's going to end his 
he's going to end up back in the rotation at some point this year. Uh, how the Reds manage that, and that's the one thing that uh, I would I would love to have a chance to ask Brian Price before he's now uh, not in the job anymore. But when you have as many rookies and young pitchers as the Reds do, nobody's throwing 200 innings out of that bunch. Uh, you're hoping to get 150 innings out of most of them. Uh, but if you do, especially when you start the season with Malley and Romano and, and Finnegan coming off injury and all those guys, somebody's going to have to start games to finish the year, too. And I think with with Garrett, what they're doing now, uh, they talked about wanting to see him get success again. Um, and I think he's getting that and experiencing he can be a talented big league pitcher. Uh, they're probably buying some innings with him at this point, And I wouldn't be at all shocked to see him get 15, 18, 20 starts to finish the year in the rotation. Okay, so that's all the pitching in this series. I mean, I'm sure that will continue to be the story for both of these teams as they sort of try to figure out uh, the stability of their rotations. Um, but offense has come at a premium for the Reds as well. What needs to happen, do you think, to sort of kickstart this lineup for the Reds? Is it really as simple as Joey Votto starting to be Joey Votto, or does someone else need to step up? You know, we talked about Vado, and obviously, you know, he's the he's that battleship in the middle of the order that you hope to have every year. Um, but if you take Suarez away from the lineup from last year, you take Zach Cozart out, you take Scott Shebler out, um, you get little to no production from Adam Duvall yet this year also. Uh, and then you also feel the lineup every single day that's got Jose Peraza, Billy Hamilton, and whoever they've been running out in third base, which has either been Cliff Pennington or Phil Goslin or rookie Alex Blandino, who hasn't hit yet, um, there's not a whole lot of obvious go-to consistent performers in there. Um, Tucker Barnhart has been the most consistent offensive player for the Reds so far this year. Um, so I, I, while getting Votto hot again, I think is certainly the biggest uh, driver for all of this. Um, Joey Votto has been really good for the last three or four years. The Reds have still been kind of a, you know, slightly above average offense. Uh, I think they got to get some contributions from the rest of the lineup as well. Um, and it looks like they've started to heat up a little bit and saying that after back-to-back shutout losses is a little bit tough to say. Um, but before that, the five or six games before that, uh, they've gotten some decent outings from Billy Hamilton who heated up, Jose Peraza they heated up as well. But yeah, I think it's 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 certainly a top to bottom issue. Um, uh, Votto deservedly should shoulder the blame because we've we've come to expect so much out of him. Um, but it's it's certainly beyond just him, and and it's got to be something that that top to bottom gets gets hot and gets rectified soon. <laughs> certainly, <laughs> I wanted to I wanted to ask you about Alex Blandino because uh, I see a lot of talk about him. I've I've read some things about him. I remember sort of noticing him specifically in that series with the Cardinals thinking, huh, this I'm, I'm intrigued by what seems to be there with this kid. What is your take on him? And, and I know he's not hitting right now, but what he could be for the Reds. So he's a former first round draft pick and actually had two solid productive years um, coming up through the minors before 2016. And in 2016, he went to go play for team Nicaragua. Uh, in the World Baseball Classic and suffered a thigh slash knee-ish injury that kind of kicked him out of that. And he never really kicked the funk that he got in by being sidelined and coming back and had a miserable 2016 season. And as a guy who was never seen as a superstar prospect as a first-round draft pick, but a guy who 
in theory, could play second base, play shortstop, play third base as a solid defender. Uh, Stanford product, who obviously, they, you know, Stephen Piscotti and, and numerous other big leaders uh, came highly touted enough to say, OK, this should translate at some level. Um, he kind of fell down the the pecking order significantly. And when the Reds specifically, when you've got Eugenio Suarez at third base, you claim Scooter Jeanette and he has a great year. Uh, and then you've got Nick Senzel as the top prospect who plays both those positions, too. Blandino became very easy to overlook, um, but he had a fantastic year last year. He's not a guy who's going to hit 300, but he's got a great eye at the plate. He had a 392 on base percentage uh, when he got to AAA last year, which is excellent when you pair with you know solid defense in the infield. And he's the kind of guy who you think, yeah, maybe he's not going to be a, a, a go-to regular at any one position for the rest of his career, but he's a guy that if that's your top option on the bench – that's a great guy to have. It really is. And so for us, when we saw Suarez go down, we knew for service time issues that, you know, Sinzel was not going to come up anytime soon. Uh, the, not seeing him start as often as he should because of Cliff Pennington and Phil Goslin has been one of the biggest gripes we've had this year because Cliff Pennington and Phil Goslin are over 30 and not going to be on the next good Reds team. Blandino should be. And he really should be playing every day. And so I'm interested to see if the uh, the changing of the guard in the managerial position prompts him getting that chance. Because, um, you know, the window when Suarez is hurt and Senzel's not called up, for us it looked up and said, hey, that's 25-year-old Alex Blandino's time to get 30 starts and show you what he's got. And hopefully from here going forward until Suarez gets back, that's what we'll see. Because uh, I've, I've always been a rashly high on him as a prospect. I thought he was the kind of guy who could translate very well uh, for the Reds. And I, I want to see him get a chance. I really do. Uh, I have become known as the person who was and continues to be irrationally high on the possibility of Colton Wong. That is not translating well this this year so far. But I will continue to insist <laughs> that there is potential untapped there. Uh, and a lot of that has to do with the fact that he's not playing as consistently as I think he should. But that's a story for another day. What do you want to see out of this series specifically that would make you feel like, okay, this is something that went right for the Reds? So uh, so we've talked about how the manager got fired after just 18 <laughs> games. Um, I, I came into the season saying, okay, uh, the Cincinnati Reds don't have to make the playoffs. They don't have to win 85 games this year for it to be a success based on what they anticipated. I thought 2018 was the year that the Reds would play good enough to prompt the front office to finally make those additions that would put them over the top. They've got the payroll flexibility. Their payroll is $25 million lower than it was in 2013, 2014. Um, my thing was, I said at the start of the season, the Reds can't be bad again because their pitching is bad again. That, like They can't have that be the third straight year that that's the thing they didn't solve. If the pitching gets better – that's a win in many instances. I never thought the offense would be as bad as it's been. And so for me, I look up and say, if they're actually going to play a game that's like 55 degrees outside and the bats don't start to hit sometime soon, that's that's what really stands out to me. So for this weekend specifically, and obviously the pitching matchups don't make it look like there should be a lot of offense in these games, but it's baseball and you never really know. And I'm hoping to see um, Scott Shedler supposed to be back for the Friday game. Um, in theory, he's been on rehab assignment with both Pensacola and, uh, and Louisville. So if you get him back in the lineup, hopefully that might be the spark. Jesse Winker's back in the lineup after missing a week with a shoulder issue. Um, for me, I want to see the bats hit. And if they don't pitch this weekend in the grand scheme, I, I won't really care. I just want to see the bats get some sort of life in them and hope that 
that's not going to be something else we're going to have to worry about for the rest of this year. Well, the Cardinals have only had one homestand so far this year, and they didn't hit well in that series either. So similarly, uh, I would like a little bit of offense uh, from from the Cardinals. And that'd be fun, selfishly. Okay. Yeah, yeah. We'll we'll see we'll see what happens. Um, but it's always it's always a rivalry series. There's so many NL Central games in this first month. It's you kind of got to feel like at some point they'll be able to catch their breaths and maybe play games that don't have quite the same uh, implications as far as the division is concerned. But here we are, another Red Series just four or five days after the last one. And uh, thank you for joining me to talk about it. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Thanks again to Wick for battling with me through some technical difficulties. This Skype thing, you never quite know what you're going to get. But we were able to get it done for you because that's how much we care. Hopefully you enjoy the preview as the Cardinals come home after a weird series with the Cubs that ended up only being two games and a lot of snowflakes. Hopefully we don't see any more of that this weekend. Just a lot of good baseball. Until next time, I'm Tara Wellman.